This is Fight Night, a new podcast from iHeartRadio. They thought he had robbed the deadliest man in this country. Guys who would not hesitate to blow your head off. This story from Atlanta, Georgia, has been reported for 50 years. But now, for the first time, you're going to hear what really happened from the people who lived it. Listen and follow Fight Night on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. For the week of Thursday, May 14th, President Donald Trump tries to get the U.S. Supreme Court to block the release of his personal financial records and documents. The Justice Department decides not to try former National Security Advisor Mike Flynn and drops all charges against him for lying to the FBI. President Obama stops trying to bite his tongue on his feelings towards his successor in the White House, and this corona virus quarantine continues to try my nerves. I'm Clay Aiken, still holed up at home in Raleigh, and Politicon has once again outdone itself this week and rounded up a panel of incredibly heavy hitters for the pod this week. The chief White House ethics lawyer during the George W. Bush administration and host of the Politics Podcast with Richard Painter. Richard Painter is joining us from St. Paul, Minnesota. Plugging in from Sonoma County, California, California member of the Republican National Committee and national co-chair of Women for Trump, Harmy Dillon is with us. Joining us from Ann Arbor, Michigan, University of Michigan law professor, NBC and MSNBC legal analyst and former U.S. attorney Barbara McQuaid. And another familiar face for MSNBC viewers, U.S. intelligence and counterterrorism expert and four-time New York Times bestselling author Malcolm Nance joins us from the serenity of Hudson, New York, upstate. This is probably the most experienced and plugged-in panel we've had on the pod ever, and we're going to talk about all that's been going on this week, and I'll ask him the questions that you submitted, and we'll get those answers from them, and maybe even find out how the heck are we going to get along. Richard, Malcolm, Harmeet, and Barbara, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. How's everybody holding up in the, uh, what are we in, week 506 of this quarantine yet? (laughs) It feels like it. (laughs) What are you guys doing? What are you, Malcolm, what are you doing to to pass the time while you're uh, holed up inside the house? Well, I actually have plenty to do. And since I'm relatively rural and I have four acres of property, um, I'm out of the house all the time. You know, I mean, first thing in the morning, you got to go to Lowe's because I'm chief of maintenance of my house. And uh, and I have a one acre memorial garden to my late wife that I've been building. And we've planted over 127 trees and shrubs. So I'm oh, wow. busy. I you heard I talk on and- television, too. Yeah, occasionally. <laughs> I've seen you. We, we, I said familiar face, but I don't guess anybody's going to see your face on a podcast. But we all recognize your voice, certainly. Um, Lowe's and Home Depot have been busier, I think, in this quarantine than ever before, because everybody's looking at their house in the walls in the house and going, holy crap, I need to paint this. This is I'm stuck inside. I need something to do. Barbara, have you had any projects or anything you've been working on while you've been at home? Yeah, well, you know, until recently, I was working. I am a law professor at the University of Michigan Law School. And so we were doing classes online, which, you know, um, it didn't really fully capture uh, the kind of interactions that are ideal with students and um, teachers. But um, we used 
uh, online software and it worked pretty well. Um, so now I am grading final exams and that's keeping me busy. I have had enough experience with online learning with my fifth grader um, over the okay. past few weeks that have made that have made me feel stupider than I've ever felt in my entire life because I do not know what a mixed number is or how to <laughs> simplify it into a fraction. And he looks at me like I'm stupid. Uh, any any fun activities for you, Harmeet? Are you staying busy yourself? And uh, has the shutdown affected you? Well, I'm in my home in Sonoma on the coast. Uh, we happen to be here during whale migration season. So we have uh, interrupted work days to go to the window with the binoculars and count the whales swimming north. Um, I knit, designed and knit a new sweater in the first month of the shutdown. And that was very oh, nice. Really? You can see it on Instagram at my handle at P-N-J-A-B-A-N. And then in the second month of the shutdown, I have sued the governor of California 10 times on a number of different civil rights you issues. Know, like you do. And Just... <laughs> uh, now I'm teeing up two Ninth Circuit appeals, and I am going to be filing some litigation regarding COVID civil rights issues in two other states in the next week. Well, then that is the sweater or the suits, the lawsuits, you know, it's they're, they're all sort of in the same category. Richard, you uh, have any have you got any Netflix binges that you've been doing, Richard? Are you staying busy other ways? Oh, we've enjoyed life here in Minnesota. Uh, I've been teaching my class on securities litigation, having oral arguments uh, online uh, for a motion to dismiss a class action. The students did very well on that. And, uh, my wife is a music history professor at the university. And she's had her classes online and three children uh, at home, two in high school and one in middle school, conducting classes online. So that's pretty much what's been going on, uh, with the exception of an occasional amicus brief with the U.S. Supreme Court dealing with uh, President Trump and other matters. I actually spent yesterday, I'm kind of a Supreme Court nerd, so I'm excited to have uh, so many attorneys and law professors on the phone because I am a Supreme Court junkie, and I have been really sort of excited about being able to listen in live. You know, we, Supreme Court's so closed off to, to most of us, we don't get to see what goes on in there. You don't get to hear what goes on until a few days later. But now with them being on the phone, uh, doing their stuff over Zoom or whatever they're doing it with, we get to listen in live. And yesterday, of course, was this two incredibly huge cases, um, or at least cases that have the potential to have a lasting impact on the presidency and executive privilege, um, dealing with some financial documents that the president uh does not want his accountants to release to the House of Representatives, does not want the, his accountants to release to the uh, state of New York, to a grand jury. Barbara, I'll, I want to start with you. How how rare is it, just because I'm, I'm unfamiliar, how rare is it for someone to sue so that someone else doesn't have to comply with a subpoena? It's really quite rare. When I was a prosecutor, we frequently issued subpoenas to third parties like banks and credit card companies um, and accounting firms and others, um, and they would just produce the records. We could even get orders uh, for them not to share uh, the, our request with the account holders so that they wouldn't tip them off that they were under investigation. But I think what happened here is because uh, the, the account holder was such an extraordinary person, the president of the United States, um, all of these parties, the accounting firm and the banks, kind of said, time out, 
um, we've got a very extraordinary situation here. We are willing to produce these records and do whatever the law says we should do, but we recognize that this is an unusual issue, and so we want to raise this issue. And then upon learning that his uh, records had been subpoenaed, President Trump filed a lawsuit. So it is pretty unusual uh, that uh, some other person would file this lawsuit. I think one one could even make an argument about whether he has standing, since it's uh, the recipients of these subpoenas are third parties. But I think because uh, it involves his accounts, and because this question of uh, whether a president can be the subject of compulsory process, his records, um, it was an issue to, to tee up before the Supreme Court. So, Harmeet, can you can you kind of tell me what the position of the president or um, his counsel has been throughout this? That the president, I guess, is is claiming in one case some sort of executive privilege, and in another case, um, that the subpoena from the House was not specific enough. Can you kind of clarify that for folks who are listening? Yeah, I mean, I haven't delved into the details of the the subpoena specificity issue, but on the first question, he's definitely taking the position that many presidents before him have taken regarding basically being a timeout on litigation against the president, given his extraordinary position in our uh, country during the course of his presidency. So it's not, in, in that case, an argument that he can never uh, be subject to compulsory process, just that uh, the pressing needs of the presidency, which are, of course, involved whenever there's a subpoena and any lawyer knows that, that it's not just simply somebody else handing over documents and you have no say. Uh, there are multiple duties going back and forth. There are important policy issues. And so I think he's doing something to protect the office of the presidency. I think that's definitely the case. Um, and then, you know, in terms of the in terms of the idea that, yes, of course, law enforcement goes and does this all the time. Yes, that's true, but they don't do it against the president. And uh, what I, you know, I've seen the argument that, oh, this, if the president's position prevails here, that'll really be a violation of the separation of powers. I mean, I would argue the contrary. The president actually has a duty, regardless of his own interests, to protect the office of the presidency. And Congress does not have the right to unlimited fishing expeditions into the anything regarding the president during the course of his presidency, absent some, you know, very clear showing. So I think the Supreme Court justice is engaged in a very lively uh, and extended discussion that uh, delved into history, delved into Watergate, delved into investigation of President Clinton and others, and uh, went into the history. And so it's going to be very interesting. I, I could not predict how it's going to turn out. Richard, is it a fishing expedition? Is, is that what the House has done here by asking for this stuff? Well, the, one of the cases argued uh, uh, yesterday involved the House of Representatives subpoena. And the, the House of Representatives is concerned about a matter I testified in front of the House, uh, uh, I believe twice I mentioned it, and that is that uh, the financial disclosure forms uh, do not require disclosure of conflicts of interest at the corporate level. So if the president owns 100% of a corporation, that corporation could be taking money from you know, a foreign country, Vladimir Putin, China, I don't know who it is. You don't get any of that information on the Form 278 that a candidate for president files or the president of the United States. Uh, so we have a disclosure regime which does not reveal a large uh, portion of the uh, cash flows becoming in and out that affect a public office holder, including the president. Congress is finally considering amending the statute with respect to disclosure, 
and may consider adding the president the vice president to the financial conflict of interest statute 18 united states code 208 which prohibits uh criminalizes a conflict of interest if you participate in a government matter and you have a financial interest in the outcome of that matter it is a crime if you're an executive branch official that rule applies to every executive branch official but the president the vice president question is whether the president and vice president should be added to the statute so congress is considering these matters and they certainly want to know well what are the undisclosed financial conflicts of interest that donald trump the president of the united states may very well have through these various corporate entities he owns uh and so they subpoenaed that information this information we would have already a lot of it, if the president had disclosed his tax returns, as has every other president since Richard Nixon, but he chose not to. He says they're under audit, or he said they're under audit in 2016. I guess the audit's still going on. But bottom line is, this is relevant information to figure out what the financial conflicts of interest are of the president of the United States. This is critically important to our national security, and this isn't just about President Trump. We can't have somebody in there who is financially dependent on the Chinese or the Russians or some other adversary of our country. And whatever legislation they pass uh, might very well apply to the next president, not to President Trump, unless he wins the second term. So, uh, you know, we need to focus on what the duties are of Congress to protect our country from financial conflicts of interest, including financial conflicts of interest of the president. They certainly have a legitimate interest in getting this information and then figuring out what to do with it. And I don't know why he wants to hide it. I mean, why why hide it? What's there to hide? But doesn't it just sound like people are, I mean, they're, that they're trying to dig something up on the president, Malcolm? I mean, is it not a, easy to make that argument if you're on the Republican side? The only reason you want to find this info is because you're trying to dig something up. You're not really trying to pass any legislation or write any legislation. You just want to get dirt on him. Well, first off, let me just say with such a distinguished panel of lawyers, you, you lost me at whale pods. <laughs> <laughs> which I would rather be doing at this moment. No, but you, you make a good uh, question here. And that, and that was one of the questions I think uh, Justice Breyer asked, which was, can't any future senator, you know, future Joe McCarthy, just go on fishing expeditions and start seeing things, you know, asking for things that, that, that have no legislative purpose. Um, but it has existed that way since the founding of this nation. The Congress has the right to carry out inquiries and investigations in order to determine whether someone in the government outside of government was doing something which was illegal or illegal. You never know. This may, you know, may validate. And you you see with all of the Hillary Clinton investigations for Benghazi, where four Americans were killed in a in a terrorist attack. And now 80,000 Americans are dying and Donald Trump is saying nothing I have ever done can be investigated. So, I mean, the Republicans can state this, but they are overturning. And in, in, in my layman's estimation, oh, everything since Madison Jefferson and Hamilton, you know, since the founding of the Constitution and the Congress seating for its first time. Um, and actually carrying out inquiries. This is mind-blowing that their view of the world is America doesn't need to exist 
the way it's existed for 240 oh, okay. years. Okay. I was getting a little uh, a field there. but <laughs> Does it not make a lot of laymen like me who just don't know all the details of these legal things just think it, it sounds a little bit like the president is saying you can't investigate anything me for anything you can't look into anything about me while i'm president i mean i kind of have blanket immunity as long as i'm president is that fair is that what is being asked and is that acceptable well i don't first of all i don't think that's what he's saying i think he's a, a, he's addressing the request in this particular situation. But let me step back a little bit. Now, Democrats have been trying to get a hold of the president's tax returns, even in the California case that I litigated and won regarding uh, a law that California passed for mandatory disclosure of tax returns of any presidential candidate. And it was passed in a hurry in the dead of night, signed quickly, not the usual type of debate. We immediately went into court and challenged it. And we won on multiple grounds, including that the qualifications of the presidency are set by the United States Constitution, and the states may not add these random requirements just because of their voyeurism or curiosity. The fishing expedition that the House is engaging in here is in the same category, and I hear a lot of drama about maybe the president is being controlled by the Chinese or the Russians. The Russian thing has been very well debunked now. There's no evidence for any of that. And no, we do not have a separation of powers that means that Congress can go on a voyeuristic fishing expedition. Even in the argument that happened yesterday, it was not necessarily split along party lines. You know, some justices expressed concern about, uh, you know, attempts to get at the president's medical records. That would clearly be too far, according to some of the more liberal justices. Uh, you know, on the congressional subpoena case, Justice Breyer found that the, or his question seemed to indicate that he found that those subpoenas were incredibly broad, 15 categories of information, very vague, the typical type of fishing expedition that in a litigation, which is what, you know, I do every day, you would object to, no, no matter which side you were representing, you would object to the other side's broad uh, fishing expedition type subpoena. So, no, I think it would be, to find, answer your final question, it would not be appropriate to say that the president can never be investigated for anything under any circumstances. Uh, clearly, if there's uh, you know, some evidence and something is narrowly tailored and it is uh, important to be done immediately, then I think it would be appropriate. But that's not the question before this court. The question before this court is really an attempt to weaponize and politicize that balance of powers and the subpoena process and use, use a friendly prosecutor from a friendly jurisdiction to get out information that they otherwise are not entitled to. They're not entitled to the tax returns as a qualification. The fact that people have voluntarily offered it is a focus of the political process and the function of the political process, rather. And if you know people not, do not want to vote for the president because of that, they can certainly do that. But so far, until we amend the Constitution, those records are off limits as a qualification for president. And they're being used as such as a proxy in this situation. Yeah, but they didn't really ask. They didn't really say you can't be president unless you give us this. They just said we issue a subpoena. And when you issue a subpoena, you have to follow it. But. But Barbara, the there's Supreme a, Court can just though. so the context needs to be understood. The context is they try to get it other ways they couldn't. Now they're doing this. So, but the Supreme Court, Barbara, can just essentially say we we're punting. We're not doing this. We're not dealing with this. They what's what's the rationale behind that, and what are the odds that they're going to actually decide this? Yeah, well, I think it's important to keep the two cases separate. There were two cases yesterday. One is where uh, the Manhattan District Attorney, Cy Vance, has subpoenaed records through a grand jury related to a state criminal investigation. I think the court demonstrated a much stronger willingness 
to permit that subpoena to go forward based on the U.S. versus Nixon case and the Jones versus Clinton case. Um, and, and I think that one is, is much stronger. Where they showed some skepticism is in this area where Congress is uh, seeking the president's records. And yes, I think there are a couple ways they could punt. One, uh, about a week ago, the court sent um, a notice out to the parties asking them to file a brief on the issue of the political question doctrine, which is courts should not intervene on certain things that are just too political to touch, that you should leave it to uh, Congress and the executive to work things out through their own means, uh, through uh, things like inherent contempt powers and the power of the purse uh, and things like that. But what was interesting is even though they requested that and some predicted that was a signal that they were going to punt on that issue, there were no questions about that yesterday. And so I think perhaps they've moved on and don't plan to punt in that way, but they could punt in another way. And that's this. Some of the justices seemed uh, to uh, be very favorable on this argument that although the president must give up his records, before you can require him to do so, there must be a showing of a specialized need or a heightened standard. And this argument was made in both of the cases, the uh, criminal case as well as the congressional case, um, that maybe you can get it, but you have to show this higher standard that you absolutely need this for your investigation, and there's no other way that you can get it. And only upon that showing uh, would the president need to comply? What's interesting about that is if that's the way the court were to come out with a decision in the next month or so, then that would send it back down to the lower courts to work through that process. And I think in that way, the president could run out the clock, even if he does have to comply with these subpoenas. Ultimately, the compliance wouldn't have to happen until after the November elections. Yeah. So so somebody just explained, and I don't care who answers this, because I, I guess I hear the word subpoena, and I know there's certainly due process there. You get subpoenaed, you can always go to a judge and ask them to quash it and and maybe get out of having to comply. But you know, usually you hear the subpoena from any from anyone, and you're you're going to have to comply with it. What happens if the Supreme Court says yes? These subpoenas must be complied with. I mean, is is the president not? Is it not completely possible, Richard, that he just says, screw it, I'm still not going to listen to you? I mean, the, the Supreme Court doesn't have any ability to enforce its rulings absent the actual power of the executive branch. Is that not correct? I mean, can't well, this couldn't yes. the president just say, screw it, I don't care what you decide, Supreme Court? Oh, I think he and I, he will. Uh, he's certainly going to run out the clock till after the election. Uh, the Cy Vance subpoena, uh, that's the case where I uh, submitted a MECAS brief on Council of Record for uh, Professor Claire Finkelstein at the University of uh, Pennsylvania and the Center for Ethics there. And uh, we put in this uh, brief that uh, you know, really strongly supported Cy Vance's uh, claim uh, to, uh, this, you know, to enforce the subpoena. But that is a grand jury subpoena, and that's going to remain confidential. That information is not going to be leaked to the public. Uh, the, from the New York subpoena uh, in campaign. So that's not going to come out till after the election. Now, he might comply with that subpoena if he's ordered to. I believe he will be ordered to. Uh, but that's not what's going to uh, come out and affect the election. The congressional subpoenas are different because the members of Congress, when they get that information, they do with it what they will. And, of course, if it's before an election, all sorts of things can happen. Uh, so we'll see what happens, what kind of order there is with respect to the congressional subpoena. And remember, it is Deutsche Bank, though, and Masers, the third parties that have to turn over 
the documents. And they have said, I don't know whether they'll do this, that if they're ordered to turn over the documents by the Supreme Court, they will do so. Now, that doesn't mean that Donald Trump might try various uh, strategies to delay the turning over those documents to Congress until after uh, November 3rd. But we'll see what happens with that one. Uh, these are subpoenas. Subpoenas need to be complied with. Uh, and there's no uh, constitutional provision or statute that I know of that exempts the president of the United States or persons that hold the records, the financial records of the president of the United States from a duly enforceable subpoena. Harmi, does it get does it concern uh, Republicans or anyone? I mean, I guess it should concern all of us at some to some degree that there may be precedents being set by this particular president that might be followed by Democratic presidents down the road, um, a Democrat president who decides they don't want to give away or, or comply with a certain subpoena. Is that is that something that concerns you at all? Yeah, absolutely. Every time you have a rule made by any type of political dispute, which is absolutely a political dispute, a non-law enforcement dispute, there's a risk that the other side will wield it in a way that, uh, you know, is not the outcome that you politically would prefer. So that's a case in every case involving the president. And it's certainly something that any responsible scholar or lawyer who debates these issues um, would say is the case. But really, I don't really see this as a left-right dispute so much as a, you know, sort of where you come down on the extent of presidential powers. Are they broad? Are they narrow? Um, this is something that's been in flux over the years. Uh, you know, what many would argue that Congress has ceded a lot of its authority to um, to you know, administrative agencies, which has uh, frankly been weakening of Congress into disasters. And th th these issues are all in flux. Is um, there, is there um, anything left that's not a left-right dispute at this point? That's what I'm, I just don't believe there is anymore. Well, I think so. <laughs> it feels like everything gets turned that way. I think I so, think Clay. I think everybody um, favors the um, audio, live audio of the Supreme Court feed, just the way you did. I, I think that. Oh, there you go. That's feet. one thing. Yeah. yeah. How about that? Everybody oh, likes I mean, whales. You know, that's true. <laughs> um, no, so I agree I, with you. That's a problem that they, we've had expanded executive power since Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And of course, it was traditionally Republicans who complained about it. Uh, that President Roosevelt had enormous power uh, with the support of Congress and the New Deal. And then during World War II, uh, and uh, then we we went through a period in in the um, uh, Truman the se seizing the steel factories, uh, and uh, you know we we've, we've had a lot of our history when it's been Republicans who I think rightfully have said, well, you know there needs to be some constraint on executive power, and uh, that did change with Nixon when Nixon was in there, and a lot of Republicans went along with that. Uh, but the ones who went along with it too much took a real bath in the 1974 and 76 elections. Uh, and uh, this idea of the imperial presidency, it's grown under both Democrats and Republicans. Uh, and I, I, this should not be a partisan issue. And the notion that someone is somehow special because they're president and can't be subject to the rule of law is absolutely outrageous. And, and Donald Trump's lawyers showed up in the Second Circuit in the Cy Vance case and literally argued to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals that if he shot someone on Fifth Avenue, he could not be arrested, could not be investigated until after the conclusion of his term. 
And that's just not the law of the United States. The president's not above the law. And I don't care if it's a Democrat uh, or a Republican. Uh, That's just simply not acceptable. It's not in our Constitution. And the founders did not contemplate it. The uh, Solicitor General of the United States cited a colloquy with John Adams about the uh, president killing someone on the street. That came out of the journal of William McClay, senator from Pennsylvania, who made it very clear in his journal that his view, and that of just about all of his colleagues who are Jeffersonian Democrats, is that the president is not above the law. The president killed someone on the street. He should be charged criminally like everybody else. And that shouldn't be a Democrat versus Republican issue. that's, That's about the rule of law. Everybody wants to constrain the power when they don't have it, right? They take the take the power away from the presidency if the if the presidency is not in their party. Yeah, but, but the last they, thing you need is some is is establishing a rule. You get a, a, a crazy liberal Democrat in there who wants to shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, and what are all these Trump supporters going to say? Well, oh, well, we we were wrong. We'll change our mind. I mean, this is just ridiculous it's it's uh look if the president uh, did that on fifth avenue i'd be the first person to say you can have a subpoena on that for sure why are his lawyers arguing this in the second circuit court of appeals and why is he allowing his lawyers to argue i'm not a lawyer so it's just absurd and his support to tell lawyers to shut up when they say stupid things so yesterday when that issue came up justice roberts asked jay Sekulow. About now, let me just get this straight. Have you backed away from that argument that the president is immune from an even investigation? And I, I thought the response was a little bit too cute by half. He said, We're not seeking an injunction to stop the grand jury proceeding, which is kind of a non answer to the question. We are just saying that the president cannot be subject to criminal process, which is essentially what this is, because even though it's for third parties, it's for his records. And Justice Roberts was not buying it. He pushed back a few times. And really, at the end of the day, they are still making that argument. If the president cannot be subject to criminal process, then you can't investigate him. You can't investigate that case fully, even if your charge is not against him, but against others who might be involved in the same crime. You know, if you can't gather evidence, then the evidence goes stale, memories fade, and you risk expiring the statute of limitations. And so I think they're still really making that argument. They've just disguised it and dressed it up a little bit so that they don't have to answer, make that very silly argument and expose themselves for the fallacy of the logic contained in it. So he can shoot someone on Fifth Avenue. That's the bottom line. (laughs) That's the argument. I mean, they just ought to be honest with their argument, not just hide it from the American people that that's what they're arguing in front of the Supreme Court of the United States. You could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and he can't be investigated until January 2021 or if he wins his second term, January 2025. I'm pretty sure the political process would take care of that problem right now since we have an election coming. Well, then he'll shoot someone on, on November 4th. I mean, the point is this is just not... Why Why in the world would there be a different rule for the president if he shoots someone at Fifth Avenue than the governor of New York or a senator or anybody else? I mean, there's, it's not in the Constitution. It's absurd that lawyers representing the president would go in front of the Second Circuit and argue that directly and indirectly argue the same thing in front of the Supreme Court of the United States. And the solicitor of the general to boot coming in in support of the president at our expense of our taxpayer dollars supporting this absurd argument that he's not subject to any criminal process while he's in office. It makes absolutely no sense. After you listen to today's podcast, here's one to add to your playlist. I'm Christian O'Connell, and I've had this thought for a while. 
What if you took the world's funniest and most interesting people and asked them to share the stories behind their three most treasured items? When you said the idea, I thought, that's a really good idea. No doubt about it, the guitar. I think I know the, the same chords now as I did when I was 14. You know what I mean? <laughs> From iHeartRadio, this is The Stuff of Legends. Add it to your playlist for free. Just search for Stuff of Legends in your podcast app. On September 17th, 2009, 24-year-old Mitrice Richardson disappeared without a trace in the woods near Malibu, California. She had been arrested at a beachside restaurant for failing to pay a tab and taken to the Lost Hills Sheriff Station. You know, I mean, she's not from that area, and I would hate to wake up to a morning report, girl, lost somewhere with her head chopped off. The police released her just after midnight with no car, no cell phone, no money. She doesn't know the area. She's never been in your area. Well, I think she's depressed. That's what has me Is more that That's worth that. you more than just her... Okay. Mitrice disappeared into the darkness and was never seen alive again. I'm Katherine Townsend, host of the podcast Helen Gone. We're going to try to find out what really happened to Mitrice Richardson. School of Humans and iHeartRadio present Helen Gone, Season 3. Listen to Helen Gone on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to get Malcolm in here because it, President Trump's not the only person trying to get out of a, uh, <laughs> a, a prosecution of some kind. Um, this week, the, the Justice Department dropped um, it, their case against uh, former National Security Advisor uh, Michael Flynn. Um, Malcolm... Just, I want to lay that right out on the table and get your thoughts on the the sort of about face from the Justice Department on Mike Flynn, even though he had um, admitted to lying to the FBI and pleaded guilty to that. Um, that those charges, that case was dropped. What say you there, Malcolm? Well, first, I'll, I'll leave it to the lawyers to to hash out the fineries of of uh, what was going on in the Justice Department. But let me give this to you from a national security perspective, as someone who, for a quarter of a century, held the highest security clearances in the United States. I was subject to polygraphs, investigations, reinvestigations, and that information that was entrusted to me was uh, based on on essentially the parameters that I would not withhold information from the United States government if I was in communication, contact, or solicited by a foreign power in any way, shape, or form. And, you know, when Mike Flynn had uh, made his phone call to to the, 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 the uh, Kislyak, uh, in which he was questioned about, at that point, an entire process around contacts with foreign persons goes into effect. And that is the National Security Division of the FBI, who is responsible for U.S. citizens who are, you know, who may find themselves in circumstances in which a foreign power is reaching out to them or in which there is some level of suspicion, did what they usually do, which every person in the United States government is subject to, which is someone's going to ask the question, why? Why is this communication occurring? Is it legal? Is it legitimate? Is it within keeping of the standards of the, of the transition team? Uh, but when Mike Flynn was asked that very simple question, he lied. And at that point, an entirely different process kicks in. 
and that is suspicion by the Bureau, Federal Bureau of Investigation that you are withholding information and compromising the national security of, of the United States because the foreign power that you were in communication with, they know what you were doing and you can be blackmailed. And there are organizations within the United States government who are responsible for own force monitoring and monitoring foreign communications. And that evidence can can play itself out to where Michael Flynn can be beholden to a foreign power or or intimidated or blackmailed in some way. And that's what Sally Yates was essentially bringing to the White House, saying this guy lied to federal investigators. The question of whether it was entrapment, whether there should have been an investigation in the first place, let me tell you, every person who has held that trust, who has held that clearance, has lived in death fear of the FBI coming to find out that they had lied while having contacts with foreign powers. And that's the that's it. That's the only question on the table that Donald Trump would intervene in this point after this man confessed his guilt to that confessed his guilt to a plot in which he had planned to actually rendition illegally a US resident to a foreign power Turkey for pay to get nuclear power plants to Russia for Russia to Saudi Arabia, violating our own laws. I mean, he was neck deep and dirty left and right. And he confessed to it all. So suddenly we're just going to wave our hands and pretend like none of this occurred is just an anathema to And it's, it's, it shows that the United States is easily bought by whoever it is that wants Mike Flynn out of this, this situation. Yes, yeah, so Harmeet, that doesn't sound good <laughs> at all. Sounds like a lot of deep state, uh, you know, talking points and nonsense. So I, I, I don't well, know. They, they tell me, I don't even know. tell me what deep state like, you know, is. I'm, I'm going to lead this podcast. The dramatic reading voice here and the emphasis is just state. kind of silly. Look, look, okay, I'm I signing up. I'm signing up. No, no, I want to no, hear no, a definition no, of deep state. No, I don't want to hear that phrase thrown around. Nonsense. What is deep state? I'll tell you what deep state is. It's the little old lady who sends out social security checks. It's the cleaner at the GSA who goes out and waxes the floors. And it's people like me. Look, my family has served this nation every moment since April 1864 as black people defending this nation. We're not the deep state. I don't have to hear about deep state. My point is, there's a lot of drama here. It is. What is this? I'm I'm signing off. I'm well, not going to listen. Let's to let's. People. Well, well, Richard, don't, don't leave you. Richard, don't leave you. Too important garbage. to me now. No, I want to. No, but I, I want to let her say me. something to you. No, I want to say something to you. I am not going to hear the United States. Don't government. come for me now. Uh, you got the wrong one now. Richard. I am not going to hear I'm just, the United States government attack our CIA, our FBI, our State Department, our military. Yeah, And this is exactly how the left-wing communists talk for years, and I'm not going to stand by and listen to people using phrases like deep state. And well, if, I hear it again, if I hear it again, I am pushing the exit button on this conversation. End of discussion. I'm not going to be bullied by people's hysteria. Maybe we should do that. Maybe we should just cut this I'm off. I'm not going to listen to that phrase, and I am signing I, I, off. I, I, don't, I don't really respond well to this type of hysteria. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Tell me what Everybody. deep state is. You know what? How about this? 
Tell Masha, me what deep state is. Masha, uh, Richard, don't come Define for me. You're coming for the. State. You are coming for the wrong person. Do not come for me until I, I send for you. I didn't. Is. I didn't say. Well, you won't shut up long enough to let her answer the question. Then she let her do it. Answer. Okay. What is well, then. I think we've. I think you've made your question clear. And what is I it? I want to give her. A, I want to give her a chance to answer it. Look, I was I was invited onto a bipartisan discussion. That's not what this is. So, well, if, well, you, guys a, a, if you guys want to have a, if you guys want to have a. You I know, want to hear what deep state you know, is. Now, now hold on, Harmony. Harmony, I just Richard. Listen, hold on a second. I have tried my best here to get people to calm down and give you a chance mm-hmm. to respond. I've given you Good. a chance to respond. If you would like to respond, please. I think everyone wants I, to hear I, you it. You know what? I Instead am not going to be bullied. I am not going to be bullied. You're being asked to respond. I am not going to be bullied out of using the words I'd like to answer a question. You're not, you can use whatever words. words you want to deep use. State. Richard, deep state is okay, a thing, but and then, I'm saying but it again. can you explain and it? Again. Then f- and f- again. Okay, well, great. Listen, I'm so thrilled that we have two people who want to act like middle schoolers. No, I've got one. It? I, I just what would rather, instead of people arguing and screaming at each other, it would just make life state? a lot. Richard, for the love of God, you have asked the question. I want an answer. Are, well, we can't. How how are we going to get a chance to answer if you don't stop asking it? Okay, Harmeet, he's asked you the question. You have the what's floor the deep here. state? The deep state is all the people who got fired in the FBI for their misconduct and who need to be fired. It's all the dozens of people involved in the unmasking of General Flynn that came out today earlier today through Catherine Harridge's reporting, including uh, the Vice President of the United States. It is law enforcement officers. It is law enforcement officers and, and sworn attorneys at the DOJ who betray the trust and betray their oath to the Constitution. It, there are countless people involved in their allegiance to their bureaucratic jobs and their inflated self-worth about their importance in this scheme that they think it's more important than what the people of the United States voted for and the Constitution people? and the Bill of Rights. And, so, Harmeet, you feel like Flynn's case, the case against Flynn was flimsy because you don't believe that... It was that, fabricated. That, it was contrived. It was a violation of his due process rights. It was a violation of the procedures that the FBI and the Department of Justice typically go by. It was an absolute travesty of justice. It was horrible. And yes, by the way, having been involved in criminal cases, not involving politics... Uh, If anybody here is being honest, many people plead guilty due to coercive sentencing guidelines and coercion through the type of coercion that that General Flynn has described in cases. I have had clients who did that. I don't even practice criminal law now, but I'm an appellate lawyer and I've had to deal with that. And so, you know, a lawyer who, who does that. Has seen that. So the who, fact who that is, somebody who is pled guilty is not evidence. We're not here. able to have a uh, civil conversation here. I can see because I'm being constantly interrupted with these rants. So I, I just think we should we should probably terminate this. I think you could well, try wanna, again oh with a more compliant. Wanna, you could try again with a more of a potted plant type of a guest. These are my views, but I don't really appreciate the lack of civility in this conversation. So no, I, just I think you this is probably good to start over. I, I, think, I, think, I think she answered the question. 
She didn't name it. It's like Joe McCarthy naming communists, and this is exactly what destroys our government. Let's let Barbara. Let's let Barbara get in here, Barbara. If you can wipe some of the blood spatter off yourself, which I imagine um, (laughs) got on all of us throughout this. God help us. Strong passions about these things, but let me. I I think um, I worked uh, as a federal prosecutor for 19 years. I was a national security prosecutor, and I've read carefully the motion to dismiss the Flynn case. There was absolutely nothing about his rights that were violated here. This was a properly predicated case, which means cases must be based on some fact, factual basis that you can articulate. In this case, uh, we had an uh, incoming national security advisor who had secretly spoken to a Russian ambassador to undermine sanctions that had been imposed by the Obama administration, and then he lied about it to the vice president, uh, lies that the vice president unwittingly repeated on national television. At that point, he had to be fired. And if you are working in the FBI and you're aware of this, you you now know that Michael Flynn has compromised himself. He can no longer handle these sensitive secrets because mm-hmm. Russia knows a truth when uh, he, that he has lied about. And so um, it was absolutely appropriate. And I think they were duty bound to question him about what on earth he was doing talking to them. When he lied... When he lied, uh, that was a federal offense. Um, the, the idea that it's being dismissed because it was somehow not properly predicated is utter nonsense. And I think now that Judge uh, uh, Sullivan has appointed an amicus in uh, retired Judge Gleason to argue the other side and to explain why Flynn should not be held in uh, contempt for committing perjury when he admitted to uh, being guilty, I think we're going to find out and get to the bottom of what uh, what really happened here. Hop in, Malcolm. Yeah, let me. It's time for top secret story time. I'm going to tell you. (laughs) I I I hope it's. I hope it's a bedtime story that will calm things a little bit. (laughs) It is a bedtime story (laughs) because you know I I like the blood in the the blood in the octagon. But let's hear this from another perspective. So when I was at the National Security Agency, it turns out that an individual who worked across the hallway from me had sold a multi-billion-dollar, extremely top-secret program to the Russians for thirty-six thousand dollars. Every person on that floor. Wait, thirty. Hold on. Did you say thirty-six thousand dollars? That is correct. That's all. That's Lord. All. <laughs> it, and and the program was so dangerous that the lives of of hundreds and hundreds of people were at risk every time um, this this operation went into effect. Well, here's what happened: every person on the third floor was hauled in for a national security polygraph including the military, who normally got five questions. We got full spectrum, everything polygraph. And the first thing they wanted to know was, you know, did you meet this guy in the hallway? Did you ever share a cup of coffee? Everything. They assumed every person on that floor was compromised by this foreign power. And you know what they did? After they ripped our lives apart, any person who did not pass that polygraph had their top secret clearance pulled and they were terminated immediately. No matter whether they were was related to this guy, whether they found out that you know, uh, you know that you had been seeing, you know, uh, you know, going down to 14th Street in the Russian embassy and seeing hookers on that street. If you lied to them, they pulled your life apart. Now, one of the things that they did was they disassembled the entire third floor. 
because the in, the Russian intelligence agencies all knew all about NSA's operations on that floor, and they sent all other operations all across the United States so that that information would no longer be valuable to a foreign power. I have a man who was Defense Intelligence Agency director, who at the time was very friendly with Russia in his in his meantime. This is a man who had dinner with Vladimir Putin. You know, who was under the pay, who received pay from Russia today for speech, who was acting in a way that that clearance obligation should have been pulled a year earlier. And Barack Obama tried to warn Donald Trump about it. But no, he went out there thinking he was master of the universe and that none of the rules of national security in the United States applied to him. And he tried to cut a deal behind the back of an of a sitting government, which compromised him and made him essentially an asset of a foreign power. Any other person in the United States government would have been prosecuted. But Mike Flynn... So, Harmeet, yeah. Harmeet would you... To, to, let's strip away what some people might consider hyperbole from this whole situation. Um, uh, not saying I do or don't, but just on a basic level, if, if Mike Flynn has admitted to lying to the FBI, would you feel comfortable with him returning to a position in the government in, in some sort of national security position? Donald Trump has suggested maybe maybe he's open to bringing him back. Would you feel comfortable with someone in that position if they had admitted to being dishonest? Well, I think the circumstances of this case are that he and, you know, when you look at the history of the edits in the 302s and documents disappearing and so forth, it is not clear to me that he lied to the FBI. He has stated that and his position and his lawyer's position, lawyer that I know very well and is a friend of mine, has stated that, A, the FBI position is false. He did not lie to them. He would not even ask the questions. And B, you know, the, that the confession slash guilty plea was coerced. I, I see we have on the call a lot of people on the government side of this dispute, and they feel very strongly, I think, both emotionally and also factually invested in this type of outcome. I can tell you as a lawyer on the civil rights side and occasionally on the defense side of criminal cases on appeal, where I've seen the abuse by prosecutors of their power, that it is certainly uh, believable to me, his story. I don't know him personally, but but would you, would I, it not I'm rejecting your theoretical I'm rejecting your theoretical. Anybody can be coerced. Everybody on this call could be coerced. That's a very legitimate confess. claim. And that so, is the claim that he could have made and he can make that he was deceived by the FBI. That is a standard defense. And he could make it. And that can be played out in front of the federal district judge. And that is not what I am objecting to. And the FBI can overreach and law enforcement overreaches. And we know that. And that is a problem. But what I am objecting to is this conspiracy theory that somehow there are these people in our government who are evil, who are deep state conspiring against people, against Americans. This is what's dangerous. Not Michael Finn's defense, not the arguments made in the Supreme Court yesterday by the president's lawyer and by the Solicitor General of the United States. I strongly disagree with them, but I will go on record saying that this language is extremely dangerous. It is being used on Fox News and was used here.
It is not the defense of Michael Flynn, which could be legitimate and good lawyers could defend him and get him off. And that's not what I am disagreeing with. I am disagreeing with the conspiracy theories, the deep state talk, and I will not participate in this conversation on that level. But I will participate in a conversation with intelligent people who will argue the legal merits, the legal merits of each side. And there are two sides in that case. But I will not listen to unfounded conspiracy theories. And that's where I draw the line. Barb, I mean, that's a, Barb, that's sort of a, a, a issue in general, I think, with political discourse or, you know, just the this way anyone in society works now. I'm not here to play. I'm, this is not Fox News. I want a legal discussion. And Michael Flynn has Richard, Richard, a Richard, you don't let me finish one. talking. Oh, I Richard. stand I stand by those words and I stand by my position. So, you know, we can move on. We can uh, keep regurgitating it or we can move on. I have to wonder at some point if people just want to fight. Because at I some point, I want to hear a legal just, discussion. Intelligent. But, but not, I'm here to be with intelligent people who will argue, as I heard the president's lawyers. At some point, it starts to become. At some point, it starts to become a question of whether people just want to fight. Because I don't want to hear conspiracy theories. I want to hear legal Richard, arguments, and Michael Richard, Flynn has them. Richard, Show you seem to, to think that I am not on your side. <laughs> I don't care which side you're on. I just want oh, to have a I didn't discourse. Realize we were, I didn't realize there were sides here. Again, that was not no, what I was invited to. I so, want to hear yeah, that's become the clear. arguments for Michael Let's Flynn. Let's move on to our quick, quick fire round. Lord and Taylor. Um, <laughs> Malcolm, I'm going to start with you and let the other two sit in their corners and calm down for a second. Um, <laughs> Malcolm, we ask questions of our audience. We ask them to send it to us on, um, on Instagram or Twitter at Politicon. You can send us questions for our panelists every week at podcasts at politicon.com. We have uh, a few for each of our guests. Uh, they're quick fire round questions where we just ask you one. Um, uh, they're, they're assigned or specifically asked to each individual person. Malcolm, uh, Jessica from Brooklyn asks, would you mm-hmm. recommend young people joining Space Force? <laughs> Only the Space Force that's going to come out on Comedy Central or, 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 or HBO, whatever <laughs> And Netflix. All oh, right, the Netflix, Netflix thing with um with uh with what's his name from the office with Steve Carell. Steve so you Carell. don't think it's a big so you don't think it's a, a valid thing to to join? Well, first off, it's not a real agency. All right, there is a U.S. Space Command, and granted, they have stood up a space force in name. Uh, it's almost so we're not going to add a sixth side to the Pentagon. Is what you're saying? There's, you know what? But I, I, it's funny you should mention it. I have an op-ed that I, I've been drafting uh, that we should immediately in the next administration, if there's a change of administration, I certainly hope there is. Uh, we should immediately strip all the funding for Space Force organization, put it back in the Pentagon where uh, the Air Force where it belongs, and we should stand up a uh, change the Health and Human Services Department to the Department of Health and Human Defense. And that is that they will work jointly with the Department of Defense to stand up a pandemic dis- uh, preparedness force. That's where that's the organization you should be joining, where we will, you know, every doctor in the United States will become a reservist, every nurse, every EMT. And so that if we ever have a as I learned in my bioterrorism, uh, biological weapons and terrorism course, what they call a nation killer virus. 
Uh, we're gonna we're gonna retweet. We're gonna have Politicon retweet that uh, op-ed. So um, uh, yeah, I would. So I, I want to read that myself. But not Space okay. Force. Joy, Steve Carell has it right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Barbara Irina from Phoenix asks, "What are we gonna do about highly armed protesters at state houses?" That's happened right in your state. It has. It has been a, a really challenging issue in Michigan. Um, you know, Michigan is an open carry state, which means uh, you can carry a gun um, uh, anywhere that it's not prohibited. And so there are some places it's prohibited, like our courts uh, and schools and other things. Um, but uh, what we saw in recent weeks was um, protesters coming into the Capitol while lawmakers are debating issues like whether to extend stay-at-home orders, standing in the balcony, brandishing guns, you know, waving them around. Some lawmakers felt intimidated and wore uh, bulletproof vests. So there is discussion going on right now in Michigan um, because there is a Capitol commission that can make decisions to ban guns there. Um, you know, so often I hear from people who, um, you know, have read the Second Amendment, and they say things like, I have a constitutional right to carry a gun anywhere I want. And the answer is no. You do have a constitutional right to, to own a firearm, but there are limitations on that. Even Justice Scalia in D.C. versus Heller, the most recent uh, significant uh, case about um, the Second Amendment, said that there is um, certainly reasonable restrictions can be placed on guns, like uh, felons can't possess them, um, and we can restrict their possession in sensitive places like public buildings and schools. And so I think, um, you know, it depends on what the decision makers uh, want to do. It's a matter of policy. And I think um, in a place where tempers are likely to flare, like a state house, when there are hot button issues, that's not a place to bring guns. Interestingly, in Michigan, you can't bring a sign into the Capitol building, but you can bring a gun. Um, and so uh, there are lots of places you can bear arms, but I think the balcony of the state house is maybe not a good place for that. Okay. Harmeet, um, question from Walter in San Diego. Uh, I think this is, it's, the question is, do you agree with the Wisconsin Supreme Court's decision today? I'm assuming that has something to do maybe with the uh, Supreme, Wisconsin Supreme Court's decision to overturn Governor Evers' um, stay-at-home order. Yeah, 100%, 110%. Um, I've been litigating this issue now for about five or six weeks, and uh, the governor in Michigan, uh, sorry, Wisconsin, as well as governors, by the way, in red states, I could name Idaho and even some would say some other red states and certainly California, have taken their emergency powers to an extraordinary extreme and you know ignored the role of the legislature, ignored the role of the courts, uh, and you know basically said there's an ongoing emergency that allows them to do whatever they want and making rules, suspending civil rights and suspending due process and equal protection. So that's a real problem. I think the I haven't had a chance to digest the whole opinion. I've only seen parts of it so far. It happened right before this this session. But uh, I hope that other Supreme Courts around the country and other governors take a look at that decision and realize, as the Supreme Court said in this case, if there's a forest fire, absolutely, get get that fire out. But you cannot talk about months of ongoing suspensions of civil rights in a pandemic. That's not how we make rules. The legislature should pass those laws and then be held accountable if they're overreactions. Okay. Richard, Rob from Des Moines asks, can the administration postpone the general election? No. The uh, general election is uh, set forth in statute uh, when the uh, general election is, and you'd have to pass an act of Congress. Uh, to postpone the general election. 
uh, and get it through both houses signed by the president. And the president's term cannot extend beyond four years under the United States Constitution. Uh, so that's not going to happen. Jared Kushner, of course, doesn't know what he's talking about when he gives an interview. So that's uh, stirred up that pot quite a bit. Uh, but we're going to have an election uh, in November. That doesn't mean everyone's going to get a chance to vote uh, because I'm sure they'll stir up a lot of concern about uh, COVID-19 in the urban areas to discourage people from voting and maybe get a pandemic going in, uh, in October, November. I don't know if that's part of the plan or not. I, I don't know what's going on here. There will be an election. I hope everybody can vote um, uh, whether or not the pandemic is out of control. I hope we can vote by mail. Uh, that's going to be critically important. Uh, the president, of course, uh, opposes vote by mail. Uh, and so it may or may not be in a fair election, uh, but there's going to be an election uh, that's uh, and it's going to decide who the next president is. And, and I hope whoever that president is, that we can get away from the conspiracy theories and I'm going to reiterate in defense of the millions of Americans who have served our country in the United States government in the military. There's no such thing as a deep state. And I am not going to put up with falsehoods. We can be on Republican side, Democratic side. And President Bush uh, had a wonderful team of people working for him, many loyal Republicans. We didn't have conspiracy theories then, and we don't need them now. We need to come together as Americans. Well, what do you know, Richard? The other question for you was, is there such thing as a deep state? So I don't need to ask that one. because you. <laughs> well, we know that's, of course. Uh, well, I have an UFOs? answer for that. Are there UFOs? Are there UFOs? I don't know. We can talk Why, about yeah. UFOs. Yes, there is a deep maybe state. Maybe we can talk we can talk about okay. whether drinking Clorox will cure the coronavirus or some other myth, but maybe sometime we try to think about reality. Okay, let me let me move on to Malcolm one more round uh, around right. the, the table here. Malcolm Tyler like from you. Louisville asks, will the global balance of power change because of coronavirus? Oh, that is an excellent question. And, you know, the funny thing was I was in Louisville and I gave a speech there. And it was the day before everyone that came to my speech was exposed to coronavirus, including uh, including Paul. Tyler, maybe. Hopefully yeah, not. Maybe even Tyler. So good question. Will the balance of power of the world change? And I can tell you right now, there are two nations vying for this, and that is Russia and China are now viewing that the United States is a failed state. And we are. We are a failed state. Uh, we can't even produce masks that cost 63 cents. We have a president of the United States who believes that it's all a hoax. And our own mis missteps have cost us 80,000 citizens. And it will likely be in the hundreds of thousands before it's done. What China sees is they see the opportunity to become the global dominant force in biomedical research and all future response to this. And they are going to eat our lunch because they have the reagents, they have the cotton swabs, they have, they, they're selling masks out uh, at, a, at a level that we couldn't possibly imagine. And every nation will need this in the future. And this response by China will be leveraged into, you know, into political and trade favors around the world. And they're also, even though they're liars and that they didn't tell us completely about this, they are also acting more like adults. On the other side, Russia is using its information warfare leverage to make the United States look like a failed state. 
And so, well, we Lord, Malcolm, coming, you're scaring the hell out of me too. <laughs> well, you know what? It's my job. I do it well, and I was paid for. <laughs> I was paid for three decades to not lie to you when I have intelligence <laughs> well, I that, that will save the lives of American citizens. So call us deep state or not, but you're going to call on me when all things go bad. And we're going to start having to bleep those words bad. out. <laughs> okay. okay. I'm going to give up. Thank you, Malcolm. I'm going to do another one for Harmeet here. Terry from Seattle asks, should California chase away Elon Musk? <laughs> Well, California is chasing away Elon Musk, and the, the should is actually a very complex question. I, I think Elon Musk is a good showman. I think that his, uh, you know, sort of posturing uh, to, this week to take his company and go to Nevada and Texas was a smart business move in, in the abstract. But, you know, frankly, uh, this is a couple of days after he took a half billion dollar loan from China for his Chinese facility, also after shuttering it. And so I think he's very good at extracting huge amounts of money from governments by these types of techniques. And uh, I see through that for what it is. It's, I don't think he's a civil rights hero. I think he's a very skilled manipulator of a uh, corrupt system. And that is uh, around the world, not just here. But so if he wants to take his people and leave, that'd be bad for the local economy and bad for local jobs. Uh, probably bad for whatever receiving state is then forced to subsidize his, uh, <laughs> his dream. But, uh, you know, I, I, I am agnostic over his virtues as a civil rights hero, which is what some people are painting him as. Okay. And last, Barbara, somebody right down the street from you, maybe Ross from Ann Arbor says, who do you think killed Jimmy Hoffa? <laughs> and I have no idea why that question's there. <laughs> Well, uh, you, you know, you probably know that uh, oh, yes. the Jimmy Hoffa case is uh, is a long, long time mystery. I, I really don't know. There's been a lot of investigation done in Michigan. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, there have been tips. In fact, during the time I was U.S. attorney, I, there was at least one, if not two, digs for his remains in Michigan uh, based on search warrants. Uh, you know, it seems like every decade or so there's a new tip. And sometimes we got ridiculed for that, that, uh, you know, you'll, you'll chase every, every shadow. But I still think his family deserves to know the truth. And so if there is uh, some uh, genuine, articulable basis to believe, you know, we got probable cause uh, to dig, I think it's worth trying to figure that out. It's one of the great uh, unsolved mysteries in law enforcement. Uh, I'm hopeful that just for the sake of his family, one day we get closure on it. But um, my truthful answer is I do not know. <laughs> Well, we're gonna. That'll be that'll be one question we don't have the answer to this week, and the other one will be uh, how the heck are we going to get along? I think. Um, where can we find you guys? What do what are we? Where can we see you? Where can we hear you? We know quite a few of you are um, uh, on Fox News and NBC News. Uh, Malcolm, where can we find you and read your stuff too? Well, these days I'm on Twitter uh, at Malcolm Nance. That's M A L C O L M N A N C E, and that's uh, pretty much where I'm at. And on occasion. On those rare occasions, I'm seen on MSNBC, uh, broadcasting from the studio in my basement. Very nice. Everybody's getting their going to have their own in-home studios. Nobody will have to go to the studio after this is over. Barbara, what about you? Where can we see you and hear you? Uh, occasionally on uh, MSNBC, of course, a lot of focus on COVID these days. But uh, when there's legal news, you can find me on MSNBC or uh, on Twitter at Barb McQuaid. Harmeet? I am at P-N-J-A-B-A-N on Twitter and on Instagram, and I have a Facebook page as well under my name. I'm a regular guest on uh, several Fox News shows, and I am most frequently these days to be found filing 
several briefs and complaints in the United States district courts around the country. Okay. And Richard, we can hear your, where can we find your podcast? When do you put it out? I tweeted out on uh, RWP USA and I'll be tweeting out a podcast this week. Uh, And occasionally I do go on with CNN or MSNBC. I've even been on Tucker Carlson on Fox news and uh, wherever they want to talk with me about what's going on. And otherwise I'm right here in Mendota Heights, Minnesota, enjoying a beautiful summer. Well, all of you hopefully have uh, will all have a beautiful summer and hopefully be able to get out of the house a little bit. Um, Richard Painter, uh, Harmeet Dillon, Barb McQuaid, and Malcolm Nance, thank you so much for being with us this week um, for a spirited, uh, spirited discussion. Um, <laughs> thanks for listening. We'll um, ex- hope to get your questions for our guests next week and your comments about uh, what you're what you're liking or disliking about the podcast, you can send that to podcast at politicon.com or you can Instagram or tweet us at politicon. Thanks so much for listening and we will see you next Thursday on how the heck are we going to get along. What's up? I am Machine Gun Kelly, and look, I know Halloween is going to suck this year because there's no trick-or-treating and all that, but I've got a treat. There's a musical podcast that I made with my friends 24K Golden, Ian Dior, Dana Dentata, and Satan. Well, Satan's not my friend, but Tommy Lee is, and Tommy Lee is playing Satan. But don't just take it from me. Tell him, Satan. Thanks, dude. It feels great to be playing Satan on this podcast. Listen to Halloween in Hell on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or whatever you get your podcasts on. After you listen to today's podcast, here's one to add to your playlist. I'm Christian O'Connell, and I've had this thought for a while. What if you took the world's funniest and most interesting people... Hello, I'm Ricky Gervais. I'm Celeste Barber. Some people call me Beyonce. I'm Russell Brand. ...and asked them to share the stories behind their three most treasured items. No doubt about it, the guitar. I think I know the same chords now as I did when I was 14. From iHeartRadio, this is The Stuff of Legends. Add it to your playlist for free. Just search for Stuff of Legends in your podcast app.